This 10 Talks podcast is a production of the 10 Words Project from WUOT-FM and the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories, the first season of the 10 Talks podcast. If you've tuned in before, you know that 10 Talks is a product of WUOT's 10 Words Project. 10 Words is a way of getting to know our listeners in which we ask you about what you find important. Your responses to our current question, what keeps you up at night, have inspired all 10 episodes of 10 Talks first season, Bedtime Stories. We have more than 500 of your responses now, and we've been analyzing them to find different trends and outliers, and one of these outliers came from a 36-year-old man from Memphis. And I remember this day, I was, I was running the 10 Words booth at the Kumba Festival in Morningside Park, and this gentleman was there with his pregnant partner and responded with crowning. Are there natural childbirth alternatives, or are those only for the rich? And it's true that private midwives and doulas can cost a pretty penny, thousands even. But Knoxville is becoming a pretty neat hub for natural childbirth. And some of these choices take place within hospitals and birthing centers that are more affordable or even take some forms of insurance. So tonight we're going to talk about natural childbirth alternatives. Later in the show, we'll speak to a local mother, Erin Patrick, who's going to talk to us about her different experiences in having her first child by cesarean section and her second child by a natural birth. But first, we're going to kick off the show with Jody Sims, a certified nurse midwife, and Gina Brace, a registered nurse, both from the Lisa Ross Birth and Women's Center. I feel like there's been a trend towards natural childbirth, at least in East Tennessee. Is the landscape of how we view childbirth, is it changing or are we seeing a universal gain in popularity? I have some statistics about like out of hospital birth. It's um, still actually pretty rare in the country. About 98.7% of U.S. births um, are still occurring in the hospital and about 1.3% are either in the home or birth centers. So that rate has increased a lot. So numbers from 2004 to 2010 have found that both birth center birth and home births have increased by 40%. So yeah, that definitely, you know, points to the trend that you're mentioning. There are numbers to prove that we are moving more in that direction. What what reasons have you seen that people are kind of gravitating towards this? Um, I think that women are kind of um, going back to natural. I think there seems to be a trend generally um, in the country to kind of reach back to the way things used to be, whether that's like a push against sort of all this new technology and everything that's being developed. But I think it's also a new trend because of the conversation in this country around healthcare and the costs of healthcare. Um, so I think a lot of practices and um, individuals are starting to look at, you know, why healthcare is costing so much and what are alternatives that are less costly. And natural birth is one of those things, you know, it's a natural physiologic process that when, you know, taken care of by, by midwives or um, there are other alternatives out of hospital that are much less costly and are even higher quality of care in a lot of cases. And so looking at both quality and cost, they've, I think that's part of the resurgence of this interest in natural birth. And people, I think, also, you know, with all the technology that's available and information that's available, you know, 
as an industrialized nation, we rank really, really, really low for, um, you know, our grades, so to say, in, um, uh, I guess, infant mortality and birth outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, So for all the industrialized nations, you know, we were very low on that list. And as in we have more or we have less. our outcomes are poorer, you know, looking at all all that we can do for babies when they're born and before they're born. Um, and why why is that happening? It seems like a discord between that, you know, what, what we can provide, the services we can provide, but yet the outcomes aren't what we want them to be or need them to be. Mater- I should have said maternal, in- maternal child or maternal infant. Yeah, and it is infant as well. Yeah. But yeah, this this just for maternal mortality. I which is a huge noted. huge part of it. Huge yeah. part of it because you know, if you look at what is required on a death certificate as far as a cause of death, say um say a mother, you know, died of an infection that she got from her C-section. I'm just throwing something out there. An overwhelming infectious say sepsis on the death certificate, they would most likely say sepsis, but it wouldn't relate it wouldn't link back to her c-section oh. so those statistics in themselves are could even you know be a little bit more skewed um actually looking at some numbers for that um to give an example um so in 1996 the u.s maternal mortality rate was eight out of a hundred thousand live births um, and in 2012 that rose to 21 out of a hundred thousand live births these are compiled by the american college of nurse midwives And it is interesting, you know, looking at if you look at the same years, like 1996 to 2012, um, our C-section rate in this country has increased 60 percent. So the um, most recent statistic is um, around 32 percent of births are C-sections. So in our intervention rate is really high, too, in the hospital, Um, about 70 percent of women in the U.S. receive Pitocin, and 40% are induced. So, um, you know, when we talk about the, like, World Health Organization definition of normal birth as something that starts spontaneously, you know, already with 40% of women, we're kind of altering that course by helping labor get started for them. For birth centers, the rate across the country, they did a a national birth center study that came out just a couple years ago looking at outcomes and they found that the C-section rate overall for these women was 6%. And what kind of complications usually lead someone to have to go um, to the hospital and either have a C-section or some other kind of medical intervention? Yeah. So our most, our most common reason for transfer is with our, our first-time moms, actually about 30% of our first-time moms, so you know the first time they're delivering a baby, transfer. And the reason is usually maternal exhaustion, or you know, not progressing at a certain point. So like I said, we take a really holistic look at progress. Um, but at a certain point, sometimes first labors can be so long that it is really helpful to have something like an epidural to get them to help rest. And they might just need some rest and relaxation to help them progress. A lot of times when we transfer, it's for something like an epidural or, or some Pitocin, you know, mm-hmm. if they're tired and their uterus isn't contracting as well to help baby get here. Sometimes they just need a little bit of that, and they're able they're, to have a normal vaginal if delivery. If their membranes have ruptured and they haven't showed, not delivery, but haven't showed signs of active labor in 24 hours, then that could be probably a reason to transfer and see about getting something to help labor start start moving moving along. Lisa Ross, though, it's different than 
normal like a home birth it's it's next to a hospital we are right down the street from fort sanders Uh, we don't use fort sanders as our backup we use ut medical center but it is about a six to seven minute drive okay Mm -hmm. from from ut medical center what are some of the differences between um, a birthing center natural birth and a home natural birth that's a good question so you know home birth um, part of the um, controversy with home births is um, based on looking at studies that look at any time a woman births at home, so even without a trained attendant. Um, so if you actually look at the evidence in the research on home births that are planned with a trained midwife present, the outcomes are actually wonderful. So with home births, They've found, you know, really low rates of emergencies and complications similar to birth centers. And so I just wanted to point point that out as well as if you look closely at the planned home births, the evidence is there that actually it is very safe. You know, a little different in the sense that obviously, you know, it's, it's still a facility that you're going to that's outside of your home. Um, some people feel a little bit more comfortable with that because it's a set distance, you know, from the hospital. Um, there's usually... You know, there's always a formal relationship between the birth center and the hospital. Um, Usually in a home, you know, most midwives do have a relationship with a physician group in the hospital. But, of course, you know, depending on where the person's home is, they might just need to transfer to, you know, the closest hospital available if needed. Both settings, you know, are really designed to make women feel, feel comfortable and feel like they're in a space that they can, you know, move in and um, be comfortable in and adapt to. Um, and that make, doesn't feel as medical. Right, and make choices. Definitely. I think that women really mm-hmm. desire a sense of control, um, you know, throughout the pregnancy and, and birth. And we do have, you know, there are definitely women that would choose, you know, that choose, you know, home birth over, you know, a hostile birth or a birth center birth. Um, because of, you know, cho- the choices that we have to make as, you know, we have policies and procedures that we still have to follow and we have, you know, medical director. And um, and so sometimes the home birth setting can differ that in that way a little bit. Uh, there may be even more leeway of what, you know, what sort of rules per se that they're that they're following, um, which just depends on on their birth attendant. And there's a large array of of birth, quote-unquote, birth, birth attendants that can attend births in Tennessee. And um, you were talking a little bit about the affordability of uh, these kind of natural birth alternatives. Is is going to Lisa Ross cheaper than going to a hospital, or is it covered by insurance? Yes, insurance does cover it. Okay, and what? how does the cost um, look in comparison to a hospital birth? I think by thousands of dollars. I know, like a like a birth bill by insurance is a couple thousand dollars more than what we would what we would charge and what we would what we would yeah what our cost would be. No, I was just gonna say a big part of that is you know we don't um, have a lot of the interventions that hospitals do and a lot of the standard um, procedures that they do like having IV access and um, IV fluids and doing um, like continuous monitoring, um, all those things that are sort of costly to provide at the hospital. And so that's one way that costs are reduced at the birth center. Do you feel that those are like unnecessary if a natural birth is done correctly? One of the things that we look at when women enter our care is, you know, we're constantly 
you know, monitoring them and um, getting to know them and making sure that they are low risk. So basically what that means is, you know, throughout their um, prenatal care, they're not developing complications um, like high blood pressure, for example. And as long as they remain low risk, they, you know, lots of studies have been done that have found it's very safe to not have continuous monitoring, for example, of the fetal heart rate and labor. What we do do is um, something called intermittent auscultation, which is listening to baby's heart rate um, intermittently about every 30 minutes in labor and more frequently when mom's pushing. And that's something that's been studied and found to be very safe. There are actually some risks with continuous monitoring that sometimes can lead to unnecessary interventions in the hospital. And there are hospitals locally that that if you get down as a you know as a patient, if you get down to the the hard questions and ask those questions, there are some doctors that are locally in hospitals that are doing the same thing. Whether they need, they require you know a minute of continuous fetal monitoring every fifteen minutes, or fifteen minutes out of sixty minutes, or um, but of course, again, like Jody said, it's for patients that are risk considered low risk and don't have you know other interventions like you know receiving pitocin or you know different things like that so not everybody it's not for everybody there's not there can't be a blanket kind of generalization about it but for you know for women that are low risk and you know the process of labor that is going smoothly that that is a that is an option and there is evidence behind it and that's why now even obstetricians in the hospital you know are able to do that all right, so during the birthing process at your center, how do your roles differ when someone comes into labor or even in um, prenatal care up to the point of the birth of the child? Most women, um, when they enter our care through the birth center, so they'll come at the very beginning of their pregnancy. For most women, that's usually between um, like 5 and 12 weeks gestation. And so when they enter care, they start by seeing a nurse midwife in our office. So we, you know, try and do like get to know them really well and, you know, learn about them and their family and their their goals for the pregnancy. And then we continue to see them on a regular basis throughout the pregnancy. So they start out coming, you know, once a month and then come more and more frequently to see us as they get further along in their pregnancy all throughout, of course, monitoring growth of baby and checking in and talking, you know, doing a lot of education to help prepare them for um, labor and birth and also, you know, having a, a new baby at home. And we really do try and spend a lot of time with women in the visits to get to know them and develop that relationship. It's a really important part of midwifery care is that it's relationship-centered. And uh, Gina, how, do, how is your role a little bit different from that? So for me as a nurse, the midwife actually like Joey talked about, like during the pregnancy, the, the patient is seen by the midwife. Um, and then when a woman thinks she's gone into labor, you know, the, the call is made to the midwife, and then the midwife comes up with a plan with the patient um, about when to meet, and she talks to the patient a lot about what she's feeling, and they come up with a plan of when to meet um, at the birth center. And then um, the midwife stays with that mom one-on-one through the labor, and then the nurse is actually called in when the patient has progressed to almost complete dilation and pushing is 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 going to start and then the nurse comes in and there's always two trained personnel for every birth at least sometimes more depending on what time of day it is and and that kind of thing depending on what's going on with the patient depending on how many patients are there and what stages of labor they're in or recovery 
And then the the role of the midwife is a you know a valiant team effort to get mom through transition into a good place for the birth, and then um, both physically and mentally. And then um, the midwife is there to catch the baby. And then the roles after the baby's born, um, the role as a nurse is to um, immediately assess baby and take vital signs, um, assign APGARs, and the midwife is there to um, assess bleeding, you know, deliver third stage of labor, deliver the placenta. So, you know, um, third stage of delivery, um, delivering the placenta, assess for any need for any possible repairs. And once the mom is is good to go and everything looks great, the midwife kind of exits and and takes care of some paperwork. And the mid and the nurse is there to continue care for the mom and the baby. So, how do your your caregiving roles then differ? From those in a hospital then so you mentioned taking vital signs um, i know that that goes differently in a hospital but how so when the baby comes out the baby is put immediately skin to skin with mom um, and if baby is doing well and and showing no signs of difficulty transitioning from intrauterine life to extrauterine life then um, pretty much baby stays there for until really until the baby is weighed we really we want you know, to establish breastfeeding. And for us, there are no per se routine procedures besides we do do erythromycin eye ointment and vitamin K. Those are the two medications that we um, do for babies. We don't do a routine hepatitis C shot at the center. They receive that from their pediatrician. But all that's done with the baby right, right on mom. The only time the baby's really taken per se from mom is when the midwife comes back in after breastfeeding has been established and baby has a nurse, sometimes between one and two hours after delivery, the midwife will come back in and do the newborn exam. So then there's like more of a more of like a bonding time before all of this stuff starts to happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think another big difference of our um, postpartum care, so postpartum being, of course, the time after delivery, mm-hmm. um, is that we do also our nurses provide home visits. So we have a much shorter stay at the birth center. So hospitals, you know, usually keep you um, keep women up to 24 hours at a minimum. And we our shortest stay is six hours. We can keep women up to 12 hours at the birth center. And that's really because, you know, again, all our women are are low risk and. Um, we always, you know, we would never send a mom or baby home if there were any problems. Mm-hmm. But most women are stable and able to get up and move around. And, you know, having not had medications in a natural birth, um, they're able to do that and go home at six hours. Um, and then we do send a, a nurse that calls to check in with them the following day and then actually goes out to their home around 48 hours after delivery to weigh baby and check in with mom and do the metabolic screen like they would do at the hospital. Yeah, and the hearing screen. We also do a hearing screen. And at 24 hours when we're kind of doing a, our phone visits, kind of like a kind of like a phone triage, if there's a need at 24 hours to go out, we also got at 24 hours too. And we, then we, again, we do that routinely for some moms. If their GPS status is positive, then we do a, a routine home visit at both 24 and 48 hours. So if you're if you're a midwife for someone who's coming into their third trimester um, mm-hmm. and getting closer to like their due date, that that puts you on call 24/7. Then there's always a midwife and a nurse on call 24/7. Okay, but yeah. it, I mean, is it the patient that you're seeing, or is it any midwife? That's a good question. So um, the way our practice works, which I I really like, is that there. So there are four of us um, primarily who deliver 
Um, and so we rotate call. So okay. we take um, 24 hour shifts of call. Um, so patients get to know us all um, throughout the pregnancy by having visits with each of us. We try um, and make sure that that they get to know us well. Um, so it's so never that, like a where's my doctor, where's my midwife kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Everyone's yep. kind of their midwives. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Cool. So um, if you don't mind me asking, how do your certifications, training, and education differ from um, what you would see in a hospital with uh, the delivery room doctors and nurses there? Are they, are they different at all? As a registered nurse, I'm qualified to work in a hospital outside of a hospital and, and all kinds of, you know, nurses nowadays are, they're, I mean, there's just such a wide variety of where we can work and what we can do. So, no, as a, I could work in hospital or else out of hospital um, okay. in, you know, different genres, not just women's health. And Jody, how does yours differ as a midwife nurse than, you know, like an obstetrician or someone who practices delivery in a hospital? Yeah, so um, so there's lots of different um, ways to become a midwife. Um, there's different ways to be licensed as a midwife. Um, but certified nurse midwives, um, all are um, go through training to become a registered nurse first. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get a master's degree um, in nurse midwifery. Um, so a lot of um, nurse midwives do have backgrounds as um, nurses and then um, choose to further their ed education with a master's degree, um, which can take like one to two years to complete. Um, the difference between that and um, like what an obstetrician would do is, so, you know, obstetricians go to med school usually for four years. Mm -hmm. And during that time, they're doing different rotations and then they graduate and choose their specialty and go into residency. And so, you know, they get their doctorate and then um, start to practice in their specialty area. So it's a little bit different in the sense that, you know, we as nurse midwives, as soon as we enter the master's program, are out sort of doing our training at that point. Um, so while it may seem like there's fewer years that we're in training, we start our like practical application of our training a little bit sooner. Instead than... of doing med school and then residency and then moving into your field. Exactly. And yeah. I think... I think for some people, they think of nurse midwife as kind of foreign. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it for a long, a nurse midwife is an advanced practice nurse, just like a nurse practitioner mm -hmm. that you see at the walk-in clinic or at your physician's office. All through, you know, genres of medicine, people are seeing their nurse practitioner or they're, you know, they're going to dermatologist and they're seeing a PA or nurse practitioner. So a certified <laughs> nurse midwife is an advanced practice nurse just as a nurse practitioner is Correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. for, you know, their specialty, whether it's, you know, dermatology or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, ideally, you know, um, certified nurse mix, nurse midwives and obstetricians work very closely um, and collaboratively together. So, you know, we couldn't practice without having, like, physicians that we work with, of course, if complications were to arise, to be able to transfer our patients to. And, and we actually do have a really great relationship with um, physicians at UT um, who we, you know, are constantly in communication with. If we have questions about something that's arising during the prenatal care and who we're um, transferring our moms to if any complications come up in labor or with birth. And so, you know, I think part of this, the trend with natural birth will help hopefully also lead us into, you know, across the country more, um, you know, facilities both out of hospital and in ho hospital that where you have the option of having a midwife care, especially, you know, I really think that all low risk women, which the majority of women are low risk, 
um, should have the option of midwifery, lead care. And then, of course, you know, we need obstetricians there to to provide um, emergency care and care for our, our women that have higher risk complications. And um, in midwifery care, how does the, the actual birthing process um, and what does that look like compared to giving birth in a hospital? Yeah, so <laughs> it can be really different. Um, <laughs> you know, you can have you can like Gina said earlier, you can have a natural birth in the hospital as well. Um, I think the difference with um, midwifery care um, tends to be that we're just really trained um, in physiologic birth. So what that means is just really trusting a woman's body and her intuition in labor and birth, and trusting the fact that you know her body is was really designed. To, to go through the process of labor and birth. And so being really patient, there's, you know, in sort of the history of obstetrics, there's like different labor curbs that, that have been studied, you know, where a woman's supposed to dilate at a certain rate throughout the labor. And that actually led, has led to a lot of complications or a lot of interventions that are probably unnecessary. If, you know, you're saying a woman needs to progress at a certain speed, then that leads to um, people augmenting labor with medicines like Pitocin, um, jumping to um, doing cesarean sections earlier than necessary because they're not progressing as, you know, is on this curve. Whereas when you actually look at the physiologic process, there are lots of sort of starts and stops in labor. There are pauses. There are times when um, a woman might be resting and not dilating as much. You know, there are a lot of different ways to look at progress in labor besides just cervical dilation, which is what um, most people probably think of, you know, the going from zero to 10 centimeters. So um, does this flexibility in patients then that midwifery allows you to have um, towards the patients, does that then create less restrictions for them throughout the process? Yeah, so... Um, we definitely have less restrictions in the hospital. One big one is that we allow women to eat and drink um, during labor. So um, in the hospital, that's usually not allowed. Um, and that can make a big difference because um, obviously, you know, women are working really hard. And so being able to eat um, helps provide energy and sustain them through that process. So we think that's really important. Um, another really big one is movement. So um, in the hospital, a lot of times women that are continuously monitored um, need to be on the bed or close to the bed where they have, um, they're kind of connected with cords to a machine that monitors baby's heart rate. Um, not all hospitals, some hospitals you can ask for monitors where you can move around, and that's really important. But um, we at the birth center, um, you know, really encourage movement and labor all throughout labor. Um, so women are able to kind of walk around the facility. They're able to use water, use of water in labor. It can be really helpful. And then also pushing. Um, they're allowed to push in any sort of position. We have women who push on the toilet. We have women who push on the floor, on the bed, in the water, wherever, you know, their body kind of they feel most comfortable and those positions and that movement all promotes um, like a optimal positioning for baby and for use of gravity and like the physiologic process basically of, do you guys, of getting a baby out. <laughs> do you guys recommend positions yeah. and stuff or are they just kind of like? I think it depends on what the, how the, women is, how, how the mom is coping. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of it. We're definitely there to guide and aid. 
but a lot of women, when left alone, they know what to do and they know what feels right for them, more importantly. And if they seem like they're not coping well or if we feel that things things might need to be changed up a little bit, we're definitely there to suggest, you know, different position changes and suggest different things. Are there ever women that are afraid to move in, like, certain positions oh, and yeah. things like that? Yeah. I feel like we've yeah. been kind of um, mm-hmm. almost taught from media exposure and stuff that, you know, you give birth screaming at people on your back and, like, yeah. <laughs> cussing at the doctors and that yeah. it's it's not, I don't know, normal or, like, ladylike or whatever to move around. And I could see that, you know, becoming a thing, even if someone did come to the birth center. What about those inhibitions? I think that that women generally that that we see the majority of women um I think they're they're very comfortable with the process or else they wouldn't have chosen it uh-huh. um but there's definitely there's still there's still we still get cursed and we still get <laughs> you know we still get the blunt of some of the brunt of some of that but it's it's not it's more rare you yeah. know it's more rare we definitely make suggestions when we feel like it's needed but um and we have a lot of options too, and because, like Jody discussed, because of the things that we don't have, it opens us up to more having some of those options, like using the toilet or using the that we have a birth stool, you know, or um, using us. You know, we do a lot of you know um, coupling with the with the midwives and the partners and the family that's there, whether we're they're you know doing kind of a you know partner we call it partner dancing, you know, or whether they're leaning on us physically or know just different all kinds of different stuff sometimes the way we are entwined we're all surprised with how we end up but um (laughs) but it works you know whatever she's needing from us we're hopefully there to provide it Mm -hmm. yeah we also try and um you know prepare women throughout the pregnancy for the labor process so you know talking to them about ways to move in labor um, encouraging childbirth classes too so people sort of understand physiologically what's happening in that process um, which I think helps women really prepare and kind of um, get like helps with that inhibition and helps kind of instead of you know get out of that image that they might have in their head of you know that we see on TV and in the movies of you know what childbirth is and it's screaming and traumatic and um, you know it, it helps kind of get them out of that thought process into, okay, you know, this is what it it could look like, Mm -hmm. you know, watching videos of Mm -hmm. um, natural birth. And, you know, we have a, we actually have childbirth classes and breastfeeding classes that we do hold at the center and encourage our patients to come to. Um, I think education, I think, is a huge, huge component of what we do. I mean, the, the, you know, the appointments are definitely, there's some, you know, definitely points that they have to, you know, hit on, you know, we have to listen to baby's heart rate. We have to measure mom's abdomen um, and other things. But a lot of it is just, like Jody said earlier, getting to know the patient, their family, where they're coming from, how far they've been, how far they have to go. And then we always, you know, you know, there's also a great thing is with our midwives is getting together and discussing, you know, we, they do discuss the patients. It's not a you know, they have their appointment and they've talked to this midwife and that kind of stays in those four walls. The, it, the pertinent information is definitely shared and where a woman's situation and where she's coming from and where she's at is definitely going to affect her birth. And so those things are, you know, all, you know, discussed and and considered. Um, 
So it sounds like, um, I mean, this is a very intimate experience between you guys and the families or the mother that's giving birth. Um, has there been a particular moment that's kind of stood out to you throughout your careers? Gosh, that's a hard <laughs> question. It's hard. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think you think about birth, you know, it's, it's so ordinary, right? It happens every day, multiple, multiple times, all the way mm-hmm. around the world. In any different situation that there could be, you know, war, famine, peace, you know, in trees, during floods. I mean, it mm-hmm. happens. So it's so ordinary, really, in a way. But really, it's the, it's it's the total opposite of that because every birth is so individual and so amazing in itself. It's just really hard to, you know, I think for me, when my first, my fir- you know, my, I was remember my first one that I you know, you probably remember your first baby you caught. I remember my first kind of natural birth that I witnessed. Yeah, I feel like it's like a compilation of of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are centered around. I think there's there's something so rewarding in seeing a woman's kind of transformation throughout her pregnancy. And especially sometimes with the, you know, um, with moms that are just becoming, you know, moms mm-hmm. for the first, first time. time. Yeah. Um, and seeing that transformation and that moment to where, you know, they're holding their baby for the first time and all that work and, um, you know, the process of, of labor and, and natural delivery is, is so amazing, too, because just the way, you know, the natural hormones are and everything that allow for that instant bonding and that instant connection is pretty incredible to witness. Yeah. And we are blessed to to have healthy moms and we are, we are blessed to serve, you know, healthy, low risk moms. And so that's also very, we're just very fortunate in that too, that we have jobs that we, we can see that through and, 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 and help those moms. All right. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll be here with Erin Patrick, a mother of two from Knoxville, who is here to talk to us about her natural birth experience. Welcome back to 10 Talks Bedtime Stories. We're here with Erin Patrick, a Knoxville woman who delivered via natural birth a year and a half ago. Hi, Erin. Hello. Um, So what got you interested in natural birth? Well, I'm a wildlife biologist, so I think my background in biology kind of got me interested in natural birth originally when I was pregnant six years ago with my son. Um, I just, I don't know, I started, you know, thinking (laughs) we're mammals, mammals in the wild. Um, You know, they give birth naturally. Why can't we? (laughs) So I know it sounds cheesy, but it is true. It's my background in biology kind of got me interested. And that led me to reading a lot of stories about people giving birth. And I just was really drawn to the natural childbirth stories. And was it your first uh, child that you had the natural birth with? No, my first child, um, I was hoping to have a natural birth. um, But I I don't think I had things set up quite right (laughs) to have a natural birth. I was in an area, not in Tennessee, um, that was not very natural birth friendly. The hospital I was at wasn't a natural birth friendly hospital. My provider wasn't natural birth friendly. So I had a lot of, um, I guess, obstacles um, against me. And my son actually ended up getting injured during the labor process. Um, So he ended up ultimately being born by cesarean, um, which was much needed for him and saved his life. So 
uh, wasn't a natural birth, but I'm very thankful that he was uh, able to be born by cesarean and that he's here and healthy. By natural birth friendly, what does that mean? Well, um, as far as the hospital goes. Yeah, no, that's good, a great question. So um, with my son, the hospital, once you were, your waters had broken, um, you were not allowed to get up and move around out of your bed. Um, if you've ever tried to have a natural birth, you will quickly find out that that goes against every intuition your body's screaming at you um, when you're in labor. Your body is just begging you to move. And so um, that hospital didn't, you know, allow for movement. And um, here in Knoxville, I was able to find a hospital that not only allowed for movement, but encouraged movement. And so um, they work closely with doulas and um, with their clients to kind of get them up, get them moving, letting gravi let gravity help, you know, the baby move down into the birth canal. So there's a lot of differences um, between what I experienced with my son and then what I experienced with my daughter. So you wouldn't even be allowed to, like, go to the bathroom by yourself or anything. It just feels so undignified like it was it was awful I would just be mortified it was it was it was humiliating um you I literally walked into the hospital in labor with my waters broken already and they told me to go to the bathroom because I wouldn't be up again until after he was born and so um because I didn't choose to have an epidural early on um they told me that I'd have to use a bedpan and so it, it was it was really it was a hard thing to deal with when you're in labor trying to use a bedpan don't recommend it um and it's not I mean it's not needed um there's definitely better options and we have a lot of options in Tennessee that other states don't have so how old is your first child now he's almost six he'll be oh, six wow. in a couple weeks yeah and so you're the child you had by a natural birth mm -hmm. she's um about a year and a half now yeah so you, you then moved to Knoxville? No, I did. We moved to Knoxville when my son was about 18 months old. So, And uh, one of the first things I did when I moved to Knoxville, actually, because um, my husband and I knew we wanted another child, and one of the first things I did was start looking into the birth options in Knoxville um, because I knew I wanted something so different than what happened with my son. And um, I actually got keyed in to the birth community by um, joining ICANN, which is the International Cesarean Awareness Network. Mm -hmm. um, Kimberly Seebeck is the local leader. And so I messaged her literally before our moving truck got here and was like, I'm moving here. I've had one cesarean. I want a, you know, a different birth. And she invited me to come to the meeting and I went and I was able to meet other women who have walked the same path I have or similar. And, um, I was able to learn a lot about our local options for natural birth and for not only natural birth, just all births. <laughs> I mean, for cesarean births, for, you know, planned medicated births. I learned a lot. And um, and that gave me the power to make the choice of what I wanted to do, which path I wanted to follow for our subsequent birth. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm an extreme case. My son was actually injured by routine interventions used incorrectly in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Hospitals are wonderful and they can be used as one, these interventions can be used as wonderful tools. Now, like I said, I'm extreme case. My son was, in, you know, injured from those tools. So then did you give, um, after, after you gave birth to your son, when you, where did you give your natural birth? Was it at home? Did you go to Lisa Ross? So um, when I knew that we were going to try to get pregnant again, um, I interviewed several providers. Um, there's We have great options in Knoxville. We have home birth midwives. We have Lisa Ross uh, birthing sitter midwives. And we have OBs that are natural birth friendly. And then I interviewed uh, Dr. Brabson at St. Mary's. And he had recently at the time um, hired three midwives that work and deliver at St. Mary's with St. Mary's Birth and Midwifery Center. So I chose them because I needed to give birth in a hospital based on um, my prior medical history. I needed to give birth in a hospital. And so I interviewed them. I literally went in and interviewed them just like you would interview 
any person you're going to hire. And, um, and I just talked to them about my, my concerns, my past, and, you know, they just kind of talked me through my past and kind of explained, you know, how they could help me have a different experience. Um, and so I ended up ultimately giving birth at St. Mary's at St. Mary's with the St. Mary's midwives. And, um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to me because, Home birth and birth center births are great. They're great options for a lot of people. But then there's some of us who, honestly, we risk out of that situation. So it's really, we're so lucky in Knoxville to have so many great options for all different types of women. So is the cesarean then the reason that you chose to go to a hospital to have it? The the prior cesarean? Um, (laughs) Definitely. My prior cesarean definitely limited did my um, birth options. Um, while you can use the birth center here um, for prenatal care, if you've had a cesarean, you have to deliver at a hospital. So I could have used Lisa Ross for prenatal care, then I would have had to deliver at UT. So I didn't have the option of using the birth center. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some a bleeding issue, so it wouldn't allow me to have a home birth. So my best option was, I thought, having a hospital birth with midwives uh, attend. Tell me a little bit about your birth experience then and your first birth kind of like at what point did you realize something was something was wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, If you don't mind. No, I don't mind. It's probably a very intimate topic. It is. Um, I guess from the moment I walked in the hospital and was told I couldn't get out of bed, I knew mentally that this was not how I wanted to give birth to my son. But as far as something physically being wrong with him, um, you know, after I'd been pushing for two hours, and uh, which two hours is not that crazy for a first-time mom, honestly, mm-hmm. but pushing for two hours, and then the doctor tried to assist with a vacuum, and after that didn't work, I was I knew something was wrong. So, um, so at that point, I knew that we needed to do something else, but I knew that he needed to be born by cesarean, and the OB re- recommended it very shortly thereafter. Um, so yeah, so I, I knew all along that it wasn't. <laughs> A good experience for me and then ultimately my son was injured so you know we we dealt with we still deal with his injuries so we knew that we wanted something different now with my daughter um I really planned and prepared I I knew again I knew I wanted something very different so I interviewed doctors and midwives and I I um hired a doula um so I interviewed Kimberly and she'd had 15 years of you know doula experience and and I needed some that someone that was calm and and confident and just very reassuring and um you know she helped me work through a lot of the issues that I had surrounding my son's birth so um so I I felt like I had a great midwife and a great OB on my team I had a great doula a great husband and I felt like I was doing everything I could to turn the tide and to do things differently this time um and then you just have to realize ultimately it's it's not in your control you can only prepare so much and then you have to let the chips fall as they may you mentioned your husband mm-hmm. so what was his role in all of this yeah so my husband um yeah so he was there of course with my son's birth and you know we all we all know when my son was injured we everyone knew that i was going to have some traumatic feelings and emotions but you know so much is not the dads are kind of left out you know so my my husband he's he's been through a lot too and so um his role was to support me but I think in the back of his mind he was just praying that things would just be different because he not only you know was scared for my son and for me but I think he was really afraid of seeing me go through that experience again so my husband was great he was just he would just do what you need to do and I'll be here to support you. So he was awesome. And, um, 
And Adula doesn't take the role of the husband at all. Adula, you know, their job is to support the mom and the dad while mm-hmm. they're in labor. So for me, one of the reasons I wanted Adula was because with my son, um, when, you know, things weren't going well, I felt like my husband was kind of left on the sideline. You know, all this stuff was going on with me and my son and, and no one was with him. Yeah. Was yeah. he allowed in there? He you? was allowed in there, but he had to go away for a little bit by himself. And then they that brought him in. Terrifying. Yeah. And so for me, honest to God, one of the big reasons I wanted a doula was because I didn't want my husband to be alone if something went wrong. And, um, and it makes me sad to think about, but it's true. Um, so it was great. So we had the doula and, um, and, you know, it was my husband was still my main, you know, birth partner. He was there right beside me encouraging me. And then the doula was there, too. And she was making sure that he was getting drinks. And if my labor would have been long, it wasn't long. But she would have made sure he was getting breaks and was getting to eat and, you know, drink. And so her job is not to take the place of the husband at all. So what is the difference then between a doula and a midwife? Oh, that's a great question. Very big difference. Midwives provide medical care. Mm-hmm. Doulas provide no medical care. Doulas are are um, specifically labor support. So um, a doula can be used in a natural childbirth um, in ways to help the mom feel more comfortable. Let's say if you're having a lot of pain in your back, then a doula knows different massage techniques to try to, you know, get that pain under control. Or um, in my instance, there was a time where a moment where I did get a little scared. Uh, things were feeling different, and she just recognized that fear and just said, Aaron, you're, you're crown. she's crowning it's gonna feel different you know so it was her it was she was focused on me and then was able to read my feelings and emotions and able to address them and a midwife they're doing the medical side of things they're monitoring your blood pressure your contractions the baby's heart rate you know heart rate they're 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 focused on you know the medical side of things mm-hmm. so we talked a little bit about your first birth mm-hmm. um how, can you take me through kind of like how how the the natural birth went I love talking about my daughter's birth. <laughs> it, it, I can't talk about it without laughing. And to me, that's how birth should be. Um, yeah. when, ugh, it gets me torn up every time. But you know how you said you're scared. And I think we're all scared. But ugh, it's such a, it shouldn't be scary. It's It can be such a wonderful thing. And I'm so excited to have experienced both sides of the spectrum. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I understand. It seems like it's very emotional to talk about. It is. Um, but my daughter's birth was awesome. <laughs> she, um, you know, I expected things to go like my son's birth, um, where my water broke early in labor and I had a long labor. With my daughter's birth, I went to work, sat at my desk, was doing my work, and I started noticing contractions, but I didn't really realize them. they were contractions. I was like, huh, I'm having a little cramping, and it's coming at normal inc- – in- excuse me, at normal intervals. Um, so in my daughter's birth, in hindsight, I see that I was laboring, early laboring all day long. But oh, I just wow. went about my normal business. I um, picked up my son from preschool. I took him to his speech therapy. I sat out in the lobby of his speech therapy appointment for an hour. And this cracks me up when I think about it. I was still having the contractions, but they were so mild. I was thinking there was no way this was labor, right? Is it, you think because you were more prepared or why would they be so mild? Is it just, you know, up to chance? Well, most women who go into labor naturally without Pitocin or augmented labor, it does. It starts really light and builds up. But most people don't realize that, you know, because we don't really understand natural birth um, in society, I guess. But um, so, no, that, that's really normal. But again, since my expectation was my water breaking first, I was totally ignoring it. So um, I sat while my son was in speech therapy, I sat in a lobby and got a little app on my phone where you can time contractions. And I sat there and time contractions. 
just to practice using my app, which cracks me up now because I was totally in labor and didn't know it. Um, <laughs> practice makes perfect. Exactly. <laughs> so I kept thinking it was going to stop. And so I went home and got my son in bed and, you know, um, talked to Kimberly, my doula. And um, Kimberly, you know, kind of told her, I was like, hey, I've been having contractions today. They're about 10, 12 minutes apart. I think they'll stop and I'll go to sleep. And, and she's like, well, try to go to sleep and you know, text me if things pick up. So I go to sleep and then I wake up an hour or so later and they were much stronger. And I was confused because again, my water hadn't broken. And I was like, why are these stronger? <laughs> well, this can't be labor. Um, so I that think- must have been scary though, a little it, bit. No, yeah. it wasn't. It was, it was more of annoyance at that point. Cause I was like, I have to work tomorrow. Okay. Contractions stop. I need to go to sleep. And so it was more of a, okay, I know you're going to stop. So let me go to sleep. So you didn't think it was anything that could be like a bad sign? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. I really, because a lot of women have um, early labor off and on for days. And I, mm -hmm. and I really expected that. I expected to start labor, go to sleep and wake up the next morning. And so when I woke up and was still having contractions, it was more of an annoyance. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. I need to go to work tomorrow. Um, so <laughs> I think I texted Kimberly or something. I said, oh my gosh, now they're seven minutes apart. So she calls me on the phone and I hadn't woke up my husband at that point because I was thinking that it was nothing. And she calls me and she's like, okay, why don't you just jump in the shower and call me after you have the shower. I was thinking when I jumped in the shower that that would make my contraction stop makes no sense now but that's what I was thinking at the time yeah people <laughs> use the shower all the time for natural birth yes she was just like yeah she was priming you up exactly <laughs> she was trying to see if I was really in labor because she knows as a doula that if I'm in labor and jump in the shower that's probably gonna speed things up so I jump in the shower and then I was so confused I'm like why are my contractions getting stronger <laughs> and so it, it was insane so I get out and then I just decide that I'm just gonna go to bed and so I lay down in bed and I realize I cannot I got to move. I can't lay here through this. And so then it started slowly realizing that <laughs> this may be labor. So I text Kimberly back and I think she calls me and she's like, you need to wake up Sean, Sean, my husband. She's like, you need to wake up Sean and tell him you're going to the hospital tonight. And I'm like, why, why would I need to go to the hospital? It's going to stop. <laughs> it's so crazy. So anyway, so, so in retrospect, you look back at that, just like, and feel oblivious. It, or? Exactly. It just, it makes it, it was even so just much hearing different. it like I guess because I mean I I'm I've been raised like the first I heard about natural birth was I mean I knew of it but the first I've heard about it becoming kind of a trend was like fairly recently mm -hmm. um but when I think of like birth I think of just what I've seen on television I don't have yeah. younger siblings yeah and I'm like at any sign of weird things like I think it's hospital time oh, so yeah, it's no. so interesting that this became such a normal yeah experience for you yeah it was and it was it, it was neat it was and, and you know you see so many people who go to the hospital and then are told if if they're trying for natural birth they're going and they're told no nah, this is not labor go back to bed and so I really was I didn't want that to happen I didn't want to go to the hospital and get my Wait doula the there get a babysitter over to you know for my son you know I didn't want to do all that and then go home so yeah, I'm just stubborn too, I guess. Um, <laughs> so Kimberly, um, she texts me and she's like, I'm just going to come over to your house. And that really confused me because we weren't planning on meeting at my house when I was in labor. We were planning on meeting at the hospital. And so at that point, I was really confused. I'm like, why is Kimberly coming to my house? And, and But Kimberly, again, benefit of having a doula, she realized I was in labor. And she realized that I was ignoring it. And I was totally oblivious to it. Um and she also, like I said, she took the time to get to know me and my history. And she knows I have a history of ignoring medical problems, basically. Not that labor is a problem, but um, 
So she realized what I was doing, and I think she was afraid that I would just not go to the hospital at all. Surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she um, came to my house, and by the time she got to my house, I was realizing that this was really labor, and uh, at that point, the contractions were two to three minutes apart, which is way time to be at the hospital. <laughs> so I was walking around and having contractions every couple minutes, and between contractions, I was like, oh, I feel so good. The contractions hurt, but it doesn't hurt between contractions. And um, and then I started getting nauseous, which is a sign of you're about to start pushing. And so I started getting nauseous. And again, I'm still walking around getting stuff ready for my son's preschool. And, you know, I think I sent some texts for work. I mean, just going about my normal business. So Kimberly and my husband are like, you've got to go, Aaron. You have to go to the hospital. And so Kimberly makes, you know, gets starts pushing me out the door and start, actually gets my shoes and puts them on my feet because I was that oblivious. I was just going about my business. <laughs> and so we still laugh about how she had to put my shoes on my feet to get me to the hospital. Um, so my husband drove me to the hospital and hot, the ride to the hospital was tough. It was tough because I was into at that point to transition. So when you're actually, you know, having a natural birth, the transition is the very last of your dilation right before pushing. And that's the hardest part. For And you had to sit in a car for it. And I was in the car. <laughs> and I was definitely started. There was definitely moments I was like, why did I think this was a good idea? Like this was this is insane. But also, and is it really painful? It was. The transition was painful, for sure. Everything up to that, to me, I didn't think was painful. Transition was painful. Um, but my brain hadn't had time to catch up to realize how far along in labor I was. So in my brain, I was still going back to thinking I was going to be like this for 24 hours because my son's labor was so long. How long is transition, or was it for you? Well, transition for most p people is very short. I, you could ask the midwife this question too, but I mean, for most people, it's very short. Um, for m most people, I would say in less than an hour. I mean, sometimes just a few minutes. Um, for me, um, transition was probably 30 minutes, probably 30, 45. And so, and it was rough. I mean, it, it was rough. And, and I think part of it was that making that move from my house to the hospital. That was a hard, you know, hard transition to be in transition. In. Is that a period that you want to be walking around to? Yeah. If, if I could, you know, if I was to choose what to, where to be during transition, I would like to be in the birth tub at that point. Yeah. Um, and that was my plan, was to get to the hospital and get in the birth tub. Also, um, St. Mary's has tubs that you can labor in, which is great. How are they different? Um, they're just, they're big. They actually, they, they're called aqua doulas. So they're uh, like a, a deep tub and they have a heated heater in it to keep the water warm. Um, so, um, and a lot of women labor in those. At it helps years. with cramps or yeah. contractions or yeah, it's it's supposed to help with the pain um, of labor. And people use them. Uh, Lisa Ross does water birth um, completely, where you can actually deliver in the water as well. Um, mm -hmm. Saint Mary's, you can labor in the water, but you have to get out of the water to actually push. So when you got to the hospital, then what happened next? Um, so we get to the hospital, and um, again, I'm contracting the whole way into the hospital, and. Um, we go in, and the first thing you do when you are showing up at the hospital and labor and delivery, you go to triage, the triage room. And that's just a room where it's, it's a small, cramped space. They have three beds in one room, and that's where the nurses, you know, identify if you're actually in labor. And that's when they will, you know, send you to a labor room, you know, where you'll actually deliver the baby. We got to triage. My body started pushing. And is it any different than a triage room at the regular emergency room um, if you're in labor? Because I feel like to figure out if you're in labor, they're going to have to, you know, 
check down below and stuff like that. You go to a different triage room. It's not the okay. same physical location. Because, like, the ones I've been in there, there's some people that have gotten, like, drunk and, like, oh, hit no. their yeah. face on walls yeah. and stuff. And you're just like, this is not where I want to be no, right no, now. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. You go to a specific labor and delivery triage. Okay. So you don't go through the ER. You go to labor and delivery triage. Neat. And so they, it's only, you know, so labor and This is how moms. oblivious I am ah, about that's, birth. Yeah, well, I mean, you'll, you'll know it whenever you need to know it, <laughs> you know? Um, but I get to the triage room and they check me and I'm almost complete, which means it's almost time to start pushing. Well, I stand up to go to my actual, what should be my delivery room and my body just starts pushing. Like it just started pushing. And I looked over at my husband and I'm like, I'm pushing. And, um, cause I, it wasn't, I wasn't thinking I'm pushing my body just started in pushing room. in the triage room. And so the nurse, the triage nurse has just had me sit back down on the bed or triage. And she's like, sit down. Cause I mean, she had to make sure that baby wasn't going to just fall out. <laughs> she didn't fall out. Um, <laughs> but instead of moving to an actual labor and delivery room, I actually ended up pushing in triage. And we actually had her in triage. Um, so I ended up pushing for two hours in triage, which, again. Did that, like, mess with their triage cycle or were people coming in and out? I was very, very lucky um, because no one did come in and out during that time. Now, but could they have. could have. Yeah, totally. Because there's three <laughs> beds in there. And it just it just so happened that the two hours that I was there pushing, no other mom showed up in labor that so, would be a great story yeah no so yeah so I was in labor and I was in the triage room and so I started pushing uh, my midwife Manola uh showed up and she like just kind of sat back and she was so calm and just just peaceful and just said you're doing a good job keep doing it and it literally was I listened to my body and when my body felt like it needed to push I pushed and when it wasn't pushing I rested um so in the time between when you started birth and your midwife got there, were you then under the care of the nurses and yeah. your doula? Yeah, okay. and the midwife, they had, before we actually left to go to the hospital, my husband had called to say we're on our way. So the midwife was already on her way to the hospital as well. Okay. So, um, so yeah, but the triage nurse had taken over until the Manola, the midwife, gets there. Um, so Manola was just very calm and reassuring and just – she was just very hands off and was, it was awesome. She was like, you're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. And, um, and she would like gently suggest that I try different positions. Um, so that's a great thing about natural birth is that you can, you move and you get up and you try squatting and you try pushing on all fours and you, you know, you just move around and see what feels best. And so I would, you know, push in a couple positions and then she would say, let's try all fours. And I would do that. And she's like, let's do squatting. And, and, and that movement really did make a difference in trying to you know, get my daughter to continue coming down the birth canal. Um, so I pushed for two hours and it, it was hard. It's hard work. It's the reason it's called labor. Um, but it was, um, very peaceful. It was very peaceful and just very, I never felt scared. I never felt worried about me or my daughter. Um, I just felt really supported and I just felt, yeah, it was great. And my husband was there and he was so excited as I was making progression. Um, I, I would get discouraged. I mean, two hours is a long time of pushing, but then when I had the experience of pushing two hours and ended up in a cesarean with my son, I definitely had a few moments of, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen again. I'm going to push for two hours, and then I'm going to need a cesarean. Um, but my husband was awesome, and he would stay beside me. And, and I could tell when I was making progress because he would say, Aaron, I can tell. It's closer. It's closer. You're doing so good. And, and that really kind of helped me. So he was actually like seeing everything. Yeah, yeah, he, wow. he was there, right there, and I mean, when she started, you know, I pass out in those birth documentaries. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did good. He was great. I mean, he was like, I can tell she's getting closer, and mm. um, yeah, and it was really helpful to have him, you know, you know, cheering me on. 
So that was really Definitely. good. Yeah. So that was good. And um, and then he kept saying, and I'll, I'll never forget this. It was the sweetest thing. He kept saying, Aaron, this is so different from last time. And that gets me teared up too. <laughs> but he said it so many times, Aaron, this is so different from last time. And it was just, just um, that mutual excitement. Yes. And, relief and, and it was like, and I, and I, and I don't know if I said it. I know I definitely thought it. And I remember thinking, I told you so. I told you it was going to be different. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was, it was awesome. And then, um, and then my daughter is finally, you know, after pushing what seemed like forever, um, she was here and, and, and put directly in my arms and you can't replace that. <laughs> it was when my son, he was taken directly to the NICU and I had a course, I was in the OR and they had to stitch me up and, um, you know, I didn't know what was going on with him. That was the hardest part of his birth was not knowing. And he didn't get that moment. Mm-mm. Nope. He was in the NICU and I didn't know if he was alive or dead. It was awful. Um, but with her, I mean, she was handed to me and, um, the midwife and then Dr. Brabson, the OB was there at that point. Um, was your son there? He was not, he was at home asleep (laughs) and I, and I didn't want him there. I needed to concentrate on, did you guys, uh, leave someone with him like another midwife? Well, we actually, there's, um, something called a, um, a, um, postpartum doula. And, um, and so we hired a postpartum doula and um, she came over and stayed with him while we were actually giving birth. So, but yeah, so they gave her to me and then another natural birth friendly hospital. And this doesn't, again, I don't want to act like you don't have to have a natural birth to get this. You can have an epidural, but, um, or whatever, but you know, they gave Willow to me as my daughter, Willow. Um, and they didn't take her away. They looked at, you know, they did the newborn exam right there on my chest. And so it was like, they just checked her out. They said, she looks great. And no one except me held her for the first four to five hours. And I, wow. I, I did let my husband hold her, but, <laughs> but no one except me and my husband held her. I mean, for the first four to five hours, we didn't know how much she weighed. We, and we didn't want to know. I mean, we didn't give her, we didn't that give can her wait. <laughs> What's that? She's not going to change weight in exactly. like, you know, an hour. Exactly. You we, you know, so you see so much these births where the baby's born and then whisk over and given a bath and weighed and, you know, given shots or whatever, all that stuff can wait. There's no, there's no reason if the baby's healthy that it has to be yanked away from the mom. So, um, the, she was handed to me and we were still in triage <laughs> and, um, and they, you know, checked her, said that she looked great and they left us alone and it was awesome. And thank so, God you got there on a slow night. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was very, very lucky with that. Um, so yeah, then we just sat there and she started nursing and then me and my husband just sat there with her, just the three of us for probably five hours. And we eventually got moved to a regular room. And, and eventually I was like, I wonder how much she weighs. <laughs> and so uh, we handed her off and got her weight. But, but yeah, it was awesome. And the recovery was so easy. So easy compared to a cesarean. <laughs> so, I bet. Yeah, I mean, I was up and moving within, I don't know, a couple hours, definitely. Did you notice any difference in, like, the bond or maybe, like, how your children acted after the cesarean birth? I mean, obviously, you know. There wasn't like any more or less love yeah. between the children. They're yeah. both your children. But did you notice maybe one was um, easier to feed, mm-hmm. or was there any kind of difference between how they bonded with you? Yeah, um, I didn't notice a difference in bond. Uh, some women do, and that's normal, and that's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing, and that could also be chalked up to just the children's personality. Exactly, you know? exactly. So, I, but there are definitely women who, you know, it takes a while to bond with their babies, and that that can be totally normal. I didn't experience a difference um, with my bond with either one of them. I did um, breastfeeding her Willow. My daughter was much easier, um, but she wasn't injured either. So, you know, there was just so many differences between their first, you know, 
few days of life where my son was in the NICU and my daughter was there with me the whole time. So just a lot of differences with them. Yeah. So, so you were with your husband when you had your first child, Mm -hmm. right? So how did he react when you had to go get a cesarean? He was scared. I know. I know he was definitely scared and I know he was, um, he was scared for my son. I think he was scared for me. Um, it's major surgery and, and the way I describe it to people, it's, you know, it's major surgery that a lot of times women are awake for. And a lot of times the husband or partner's there with them. And it's like, and you were awake. Yeah, I was awake. Yeah. Um, and what other surgery are you awake for than when That's you're standard, right? They keep the women. It depends if you have an epidural prior to the cesarean, which I I'd had an epidural, um, they can up the epidural and, um, you know, get you on the operating table pretty quickly. If I hadn't had an epidural at that point, then I would have probably been under general anesthesia and been put to sleep because it's faster. Oh, and have- those are those are like actual hard drugs, though. Like, yeah, the, I mean, when I think of epidural, it's just kind of like a spinal tap, you know, yeah, it just yeah. takes out the feeling from mm-hmm. at a certain point down. But then yeah. anesthesia is actually like, a, yeah, general anesthesia. I mean, you go to it's sleep. It's narcotic. And, yeah. Yeah. So and I mean, and they only use a general in emergency situations. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's definitely needed at times. Yeah. I but, mean, I yeah. can see where you know the the benefits would outweigh the yeah. outweigh the risk sure definitely when life is at stake yeah yeah but. definitely so yeah he um so yeah he was scared and you know it was different and i i just it's like all the stuff that i remember looking forward to you know getting to see my husband hold him the first time and I just know at that hospital, like the dads would like push the little babies down the hall to the the room, the re- um, the room that the mom was going to be in for a few days. Like he didn't get to do any of that. He so. was probably terrified to leave you. Yeah, I can't imagine. Was, that was hard for him. And that's really hard for um, babies that go to NICU because it's like you have the NICU, you have the baby in the NICU and you got the mom in re- recovery. So it's like, where's the dad supposed to be? Yeah. So it's, I know he was torn um, on where he needed to be. And so that was hard. But with my daughter, when she was born, he got to cut the cord. And I have pictures of him cutting the cord. And so he was actually got to be more involved. And, you know, he got, of course, I held her at first. And then he got to hold her right there real soon. And, um, you know, he was an active part of the process. And that must have been just really neat for him. Like, um, I, I wish we'd had him here. But, like, when I when I would think about, like, even just being, you know, bystanding a birth that went as as – I mean, I don't want to say bad, but as, you know, tumultuous as your first birth, bad, (laughs) yeah, yeah. as your first birth and having to, you know, be in that situation. And then the second time, this is so different from last time, his literal words. Yep. It was great. And then he, we talked, you know, in those first few hours when the three of us were together, you know, we talked about that. He's like, I understand. I understand why this was so important to you. I understand why you didn't want to have another cesarean unless you needed it. And, and it was like, he got it. I mean, like I said, he was always supportive, Yeah. but he, he witnessed it. He witnessed the difference. And, mm-hmm. and that's, I, I, that's something I feel like as a mom who's had a cesarean and IV back, it's like, I am in a kind of a unique place where I've experienced both. I've experienced both extremes, a really rough cesarean and a really amazing VBAC. So he has too. And so he has, he's got to see both extremes and he, de- he definitely understands <laughs> why I'm, you know, why I wanted some things to be so different the second time. So was there a particular moment in, in either birth that stands out to you um, as just like the moment that kind of made them both significant? Um, it's the same moment with both births, but there was, it was very different. With my son, the, the moment after he was born and I just, I didn't have him. And it was so weird to have grown him. <laughs> it sounds cheesy, but for, you know, nine months, he'd been 
a part of me and then for him to literally be ripped out and then I didn't even know where he was. So that moment was the hardest part of his birth, no doubt. Everything else is it's just, you know, not nothing as important as that moment. But then the same thing with Willow, my daughter's birth. I heard that moment where, you know, she was I, I took her in my arms and it was like I, she was here, she was healthy. And I knew I, I did it. You know, I did something that I had wanted <laughs> and I'd worked for. I worked hard for it. Um, and so that was, you know, her moment was that we were there together and I had accomplished something that I really, really, really desired. And that when so when she was handed to me, I just kept saying it. I kept saying it. it's like, oh, my gosh, she's here. Oh, my gosh, she's here and she's healthy. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just um, so definitely their first, first moments after they you know were born were are the most significant moments. Just very different. My son's was a really, really hard few moments. And then my daughter's was absolutely just joy. <laughs> so do you think you're going to tell your children about their birth stories one day? I probably will. Um, I'm sure I will. My son knows about his somewhat. Um because when we were about to have, you know, the, um, his sister, we talked about my cesarean scar and I showed him, you know, the scar. And so he knows about that. He also, um, he has injuries on his face from his birth. So he sees doctors for that. And so he does have, I mean, he's almost six. So he definitely has an understanding of, you know, he was, had some injuries at birth and, um, that's why he has to see a nose doctor. So, you know, he knows a little bit about a story. Um, Willow, I'm sure, especially, you know, as she gets older and maybe, you know, if she wants to have children and I would love to share, you know, my story with her as she gets older and sharing the stories. It's so powerful. I mean, it is. It's it's how I got interested in natural birth at all was hearing women's stories and kind of, you know, hearing them and seeing the joy that some women have. And I'm like, hey, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to experience that. And so it is. It's, it's, it's incredibly powerful to share your story. And what's I think is so great about birth is that natural cesarean epidural whatever if you come apart away from birth feeling empowered and supported and safe you can have that joy you know yeah. there's no right or wrong way to give birth there's no one path for everyone but um but that's I guess my wish for women is that every woman could have per- supportive providers you know and a supportive partner and a doula if they choose to have one um and just to to be able to experience, you know, being supported and safe in what society has kind of led us to believe is a scary thing. Yeah, and I hear that all the time. You hear about in both uh, medical and natural births, but you definitely hear about it more in natural mm-hmm. births where the women come away feeling empowered. Yeah, uh, You'll hear jokes about it. They'll be like, I gave natural birth. I could snap you like a twig. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, <laughs> but you also hear women just talking about the experience is like mm-hmm. completely having changed their view of, of what birth is. It did. It was, um, it was a great experience and it really kind of, it sounds cheesy, I know, but it kind of really kind of, um, gave me reassurance in my body and what it can do. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when you've had a traumatic experience and then two late miscarriages, it's, you kind of start second guessing yourself. You're like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? So it was, um, it was, it was great to kind of give me confidence that, Hey, my body's pretty awesome. It's made two yeah. amazing kids. And, you know. And you'd had miscarriages. Was that mm-hmm. before or after your first child? It was after my first. So between my first and my second, I had two um, late, one late first trimester miscarriage and then one second trimester miscarriage. So, yeah. So that was, you know, added to the emotional aspect of, you know, getting a healthy, happy daughter. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed your bedtime story. Be sure to tune in to 10 Talks next week for our last episode, No More Lullabies, where we'll explore growing up and losing your roots by discussing college-age depression and teenage socialization. And remember, you can always find out more information about the 10 Words Project on our website, wuot.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter at 10 words with two N's, where we'll publish some of your anonymous responses to our current question every day. We also keep a running archive on Instagram. Again, that's at 10 words. And there you can see photos of all of our responses, the bizarre, the serious, the thought provoking, the funny ones, all of them. Thanks a bunch to Jody Sims, Gina Brace and Aaron Patrick for joining us on the show this evening. And a big thanks to everyone on the 10 Words team and all the good people over at the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. The music for Bedtime Stories is by Todd Steed and the Sons of Fear. That's P-H-E-R-E, kind of like Sunsphere. Get it? If you like it, you can hear a whole lot more of it on Bandcamp. Sleep tight, Knoxville.